The Internet of Things, or IoT, is a physical device network that exchanges data. These devices have embedded sensors, actuators, and software, and often communicate over the internet. Examples of IoT devices include smart home devices like appliances, thermostats, security systems, and even lighting fixtures. Other examples in a corporate setting include medical and healthcare devices, transportation assets, manufacturing, agriculture, energy management, and even military applications. Security researchers often joke that the S in IoT stands for security. Many IoT devices weren't designed with privacy or security in mind. In this episode, we invite special guests Chris and Casey to the show to discuss IoT cybersecurity. Chris Ruland is the founder CEO of Phosphorus. Chris founded the X-Force team at Internet Security Systems and subsequently co-founded Endgame, Bastille, and Phosphorus. Casey Murphy is the VP of Operations, Strategy, and Marketing at Phosphorus. Casey was formerly a Navy submarine officer and a nuclear weapons policy analyst. He's currently finishing his MBA at Harvard Business School. Casey, Chris, welcome to the show. Josh, thanks for having us. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, so let's start with the super basics. Uh, what is an IoT device, Chris? Nobody, nobody knows. This is like, this is a religious question. You know, uh, what is the difference between all these religions? And um, it is a different conversation with every customer we talk to. But I do feel like we can opine a bit on it because we've been talking to a lot of customers about a lot of things. So the T in IoT is for sure a lot. There are a lot of things on their network they didn't know about until they turn the lights on. And so for us in IoT would be everything I always say, look up your little Linux computers that are nailed to your ceiling that happen to have cameras or uh, your HID badge printer that just gave you a new hotel key or a uh, badge to your office. Uh, which has a critical CVE in it and no password. So it really runs a gamut of OT connected devices, such as elevator controllers, door controllers, or one of my favorite, all the way into the IT infrastructure, such as uh, KVMs and lights out management controllers. You wouldn't think that they would be like some of the worst offenders in the world, but they are. And none of them are considered IoT. Right, right. I mean, one of the things that I think has brought IoT to so much cybersecurity awareness is that like all of these things are running software these days, right? Like we came from a place where electronics used to be hardwired circuits and switches and transistors and things. And now all of a sudden you've got microcontrollers and systems on module that cost like five, 10 bucks, maybe even less. Uh, and so now things that you know were all of these circuits are now going into software, but that opens up a ton of problems, right? Because as we know, like software you find vulnerabilities in, uh, it's pretty complicated, especially relative to like, like a hardware circuit. And so if you don't have a good idea of like what's in that software, what kind of vulnerabilities it has, and how do you remediate those those problems, you're going to end up with with some pr- pretty serious issues, right? So, um, Casey, what are some of the things that like run software these days um, that maybe people don't think about as running software? Man, you get into the gamut there. So Chris mentioned things like, um, you know, you got your door controllers, your, um, your cameras and things like that. Um, but when I'm thinking about like, something that's running software, you've got anything you can sign into that you can upgrade that um, that has got a little microprocessor in there, anything that's the size of a Raspberry Pi, um, you get into these really dangerous issues because you know, you're know you talking about something that has processing power that you can use for whatever purpose you want as long as you can sign into that thing. So uh, what runs software? That is, that is, I mean, it's it's anything with a computer chip in it when you think about it. And that, that's what's really dangerous nowadays is people are, are putting these things in everything, including their refrigerators or their printers or their coffee makers, and they're putting them on the network as well. So, yeah, it's a it's it's overwhelmingly massive. Yeah, I mean, that's another really good point, right? So it's one thing if these devices run software and, and become really complicated and maybe have vulnerabilities in them, but it's like a whole nother problem when you start connecting them together and then also to the internet, right? So Chris, like- Yeah, and, and this, yeah. I, this IoT, OT convergence really, since if you know DOD well, reminds me of the electronic warfare and cyber guys, right? Sure. Where the EW guys were like, you don't understand what we do, just leave us alone. And the cyber guy's like, maybe this all should go together. And that's kind of the difference between like the IoT guys and the OT ICS guys. And 
but the second they come into my world is when they connect that RS-422 controller to that little dongle with no password on it and has never had a firmware update and they don't know what a firmware right. update is. <laughs> right. Like, what are some of the worst offenders of this, like in the enterprise? Well, you know, I mentioned a few. So um, what surprised me, like I thought the cameras be far the worst and they're pretty bad. Uh, um, but from a severity perspective, the KVMs just knock it out of the park. <laughs> so like uh, some of the biggest manufacturers of it, k- k- keyboard virtual mouse switches, right? So this is a virtual thing that puts your hands on a keyboard. They're running Ubuntu that's 10 years old and never been patched. But it's got it's got keyboard access to 32 servers, right? And then on the bottom end of that sandwich, you got uh, your lights out controller, which is like if you ever looked at a server that was turned off and it still has a green light in it, that's because it's got a lights out manager. And uh, those things are little embedded Linux computers too. No one thinks about those. And then kind of the cool stuff, you know, the the door controllers are never secured. Clearly, they're installed by an installer and they walk out and that they're break fix guys. So, you know, we found environments where we could open up to 6,000 doors. We typically find um, in the thousands of critical CVEs and in the thousands to tens of thousands of default credentials in most high security environments. Yeah, that's amazing. And I mean, it's not because the asset managers aren't like aware of the problem. Sometimes it's just that there aren't the tools available for them to get their arms around this issue, right? If you've got thousands of devices and no idea of what's on them, like what kinds of vulnerabilities there are, and then like any sort of reasonably automated way for you to keep these things up to date, it's like, it's almost a a hopeless situation. It's actually worse than that because a lot of times they don't know what's on the network in the first place. Because right now, you know, doing an inventory of what's plugged into your network you know, folks can kind of walk in and I mentioned the coffee maker or the printer, but like the, the people who are managing the devices are not necessarily the same people who are managing the security. And they're able to bring these devices online without the security manager having a full inventory of what these devices are. So visibility is actually a huge problem too. And I mean, like if, if visibility is such an issue, like why are, why are enterprises bringing these things into their networks, right? Like you'd think, well, if you don't have a good inventory of like all the different digital assets that you have, why are you buying so many digital assets in the first place? Do they even well, have a, a choice? Lot of these, there's a very long tail on these. A lot of these have been there. They're literally, our, our customers find stuff behind sheetrock. <laughs> You know, it's been there that long. So like, so looking forward, like what happens with 5G? Someone sticks some 5G behind the sheetrock, like it's going to go forever. <laughs> so so um, that, that's like the 10-year-old tale on it. Certainly the newer stuff, the one thing we know for sure is enterprises are never going to use auto update, especially after solar winds. Like this auto update is not going to happen. And we've, and we've got to come up with some tooling. That's what we're working on. Companies like you guys as well, tooling to help our customers secure these little things because they can't get rid of them. They have to take right. care of them just like you take care of a pet, uh, like it or not. And and feral IoT is like a bad place to be. Yeah. And they're, they're more like rabbits than dogs, I think. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you were telling me earlier that like there are more IoT devices than PCs by far. Oh, by far, by far, and more than people, and more than phones. I mean, you know, we, we've certainly eclipsed the human population several times over <laughs> when it comes to embedded devices. But like, who's who's out there actually securing these things? Not, not many people. Yeah, and even to you know expound on that, like the original question you asked is like, why are they doing it? Um, when you've got like you know Wi-Fi six, five G, some of these you know these low latency technologies that are coming out that are you know just boosting processing power like crazy. The efficiencies to be gained, like when you think about the first wireless printer that came out or the first network connected printer, like that was a huge efficiency gain for anybody wanting to to print. And those things have been around for what, like 30 years, Chris? Um, You know, so they did all this stuff because, you know, it's just boosting efficiency. It's boosting visibility on on operations. Like these companies are able to automate all this stuff that wasn't previously automated and it's for convenience. And so that's not going away anytime soon. In fact, it's they're going to get more and more creative with how to use these things. Right. And the OEMs are on the same page, right? Like I know in, in our world, when we talk about fleet assets, things like aircraft, military weapon systems, maritime vessels, the OEMs, the guys that are making these things, it just makes so much economic sense for them to be cramming them with digital components. You know, if you can replace an analog sensor or an analog actuator with electronics, it's more reliable. 
uh, the pool of people that you can have to en- engineer that thing, like software people versus hardware people, a much bigger pool of software folks. Uh, and then it's just more reliable, rigorous, and, 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 and tested. So we're just, I think we're going to continue to see more and more digital components getting crammed into basically everything, right? <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah, but the, 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 the pool of security people to... to put on those teams is not not growing growing at the same rate. No, it's not. Yeah, no, it's not. So, you know, when we think about IT security, obviously it's a pretty complicated space. There are a lot of different kinds of attacks and there's a lot of different kinds of systems and a lot of different kinds of like cybersecurity products that are there as control measures to try to figure, you know, figure out ways of defending these IT systems. Like it sounds like the bar is pretty low if it's if not on the floor for like a lot of OT and IoT systems what are like the biggest kinds of attacks against IoT devices well i mean it, so so you know you throw a rock and you're going to you're going to find a flaw in a in one of the stacks in a in a uh, IoT device and we're starting to see more and more of that other components being cracked which is a big problem because a lot of disclosures don't clo- include all affected devices which makes our jobs really hard um but that being the case, you know, the two biggest attacks, one, are default credentials. <laughs> just nobody changes these passwords. It just doesn't happen. And the second one is is um, the average age of firmware, like quantitatively from what we see in the field. Also, there's a study from University of Wisconsin. The average half-life of firmware is seven years. So half the devices after seven years are still unpatched. So imagine you pulled a Windows laptop out of the, the, the closet from 2014 with not a single update and no password and you know went down to your local university and got got on the network and and how fast are you gonna be part of a botnet what 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 could go wrong yeah (laughs) nothing could go wrong so so but uh, the from a from a if you look at these as kind of little linux and unix computers um most of the derivatives are you know it really looks like kind of like darpanet security Right. Yeah. So these things weren't designed with security in them for them for the, in the first place. And it was like, almost they were designed to operate in a trusted environment. Operate like in a telnet's okay. Telnet's okay. Right. Or eighty is okay. Yeah. Or or even Ethernet for that matter. Right. Like it's just like the point of it isn't security. It's just like to work. You know. So what is I mean? Given that these things are just uh, very compromisable, like what does the anatomy of an IoT attack look like? Or or maybe a couple of different scenarios. Sure. I mean, you know, one of the biggest things is 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 around lateral movement. And so, the, the you know, we don't get to talk to a lot of bad guys, but we do talk to a lot of pen testers. And the pen testers tell us, okay, last year, you know, three years ago, we got the desktops, they put in CrowdStrike. You know, two years ago, uh, we came and got the network, they put in uh, Forescout, this, you know, and we they put in AppSec. Uh, this year, we're going after the phones and the printers and and the things. So this is the new soft target for pen testers, which to me indicates that's the new soft target for bad guys too, because so much, so many resources, at least in the security elite where we initially sell to, they've been locked down for the most part. And, um, uh, but these have had no resources applied to them, even though they compose say 30% of the network. So outside, you know, easy to use, high risk, critical CVEs, level tens and default credentials, You've got this great opportunity for lateral movement. And people haven't really thought about this, that, okay, all my cameras are PoE, but they also have Wi-Fi stacks in them. They also have Bluetooth on them. So great, I get my own firmware up on the camera. Now I got PoE into your network. I established my own now, put my own busy box on there. I got my own Wi-Fi hotspot. Thank you. I'll put it in the lobby. Be nice to get from across the street. So, so instantly we create a pivot point. Um, and so, yeah, I think the guys who run the wireless IDS should know the MAC addresses for all the POE uh, multi-home IOTs. And they don't because no one has that fidelity of data. I think the other huge red flag is when I'm looking at customer data, I'm looking for things that don't have host names because they're almost for sure shouldn't be there. <laughs> and there are lots of them. Right, right. Yeah, I mean... But to your point, the fact that there's just like this massive explosion of devices on corporate networks, it's almost like an untenable problem for 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 a lot of IT administrators, right? Yeah, and and because there's been no tooling, right? There, there's right. been no HP OpenView or other manager to talk to, um, you know, a lot of different vendors' devices. And what we did, which was really hard, we spent two years doing this, is we abstracted IoT from. A, we knew we couldn't build a business supporting every individual thing. But we could support families of things. And so what we, and 
we couldn't support everything in the world, but we could support everything that a regular enterprise used, which is good because that's the bulk of the market. So, for instance, um, we have a family for Hewlett Packard, and Hewlett Packard laser jets for the last 30 years have been on three firmware families. That's it. So, with 300 lines of code, we can now automate the firmware and credential management for every HP printer ever made. But it took that two years of upfront work. Wow. Seriously, you update the firmware with a print job to where we are today to actually being able to secure these devices. And there's been a lot of interest in printer security lately, oddly enough, uh, probably yeah. going back to Black Hat uh, 2019. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a bunch of people post stuff about like PostScript is a Turing complete language and you can like just basically do arbitrary computation on a printer if it like supports uh, PostScript. I mean, it's it's a it's amazing if you give uh, security researchers like that'd be a great inch. joint project. We should turn HP <laughs> printers into Bitcoin miners. I, I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> speaking of mining, I mean, like one of the things we've seen over the past decade are these uh, these botnets, right? So so people will just go on Shodan or like scan the internet looking for devices that are just hanging out on the internet with unpatched firmware uh, or default credentials and like put back doors on these things, right? Like what are some of the things people have done with these botnets? Well, I mean, they took down Twitter. They took down <laughs> Dyn. I mean, pretty heavy duty stuff, but really just annoyances, I think. The only botnet I so so the Mirai source codes out there, and so well, there are you know enterprise editions, if you will, that are built built for you know penetration and exfiltration as opposed to noisy stuff like DOS. Probably the one I saw uh, that was probably the biggest concern was Tarai, and it's a real quiet one. Look, it was all stripped binaries. It runs on you know everything going back to Motorola sixty eight thousand. So a lot of money went into this. Um, and it's totally deobfuscated and it uses Tor for CNC. So that's a sneaky little one um, that we haven't seen a lot, but maybe because people aren't looking for it. Um, right. And uh, that, that, that smells nation, nation state to me. Right. Yeah. And I mean, so you're talking a little bit about what sorts of defensive tools we have in our arsenal to try to stop some of this stuff. And, you know, I know you guys at Phosphorus are working on like making this insane insurmountable task of keeping stuff up to date and not having default username passwords just hanging out on your network, like a tenable solution for an administrator who might have thousands or tens of thousands of devices on their network, right? Uh, and then a, a correlated problem to this is like just getting a sense of where those 10,000 devices are. Um, so like if you don't have a good inventory of these things on your network, how do you even begin to get your arms around that So we have, we have the ability to create our own inventory. So that was our product market fit issue as a startup, right? So we, we're going along to, for, for you know, we get this ready. We want to do some betas. We're like, okay, let's go. Can you give a list of your stuff? They're like, uh, no. Don't you have that list? Is it <laughs> don't you give us that list? No. So that was our, like, we figured that out in 2019, like, okay, you know, it'd be nice to think as a computer security guy in 2019, everybody has a list of what they have, but nobody does. So that's okay. So we added some inventory capability to then feed what we call an interrogation engine, where we more deeply extract details such as serial numbers, part numbers, end of life dates, other critical data. You need to know about things you don't need to know about computers. Additionally, you know, we had to figure out a, a way to deal with a new insider threat vector. How do you deal with the insider threat vector on IoT when a guy in a paperclip in 30 seconds can compromise anything? And so we had to put traps around that. And uh, so this is like factory resetting something, yeah, and then right factory, a factory reset. So we can tell if someone does a factory reset, and we'll flag it, roll it up to Splunk or Demisto, whatever, and create a playbook and say, "Hey, this is a real action. Like someone just messed with this device to to put." code on here like uh or or at least you need to yeah or or at least you need to call the it guy because you know uh bobby uh had some trouble with the with the with the ip cam yeah <laughs> it took it took matters into his own hands <laughs> so how i mean how does that work how do you how do you like go on to an arbitrary enterprise network and yeah get, so like, so so yeah, exactly. So we we roll. We're software. You know, we don't. We're not asking for span ports stuff like that. Nobody wants that. You know, an overall thesis these days. We've done a couple of security startups. You want to solve problems for people, not create lists of work they have to do. And so our thesis was automated remediation. And to do that, you do. We they basically run a scan with our product. It's very lightweight scan. It's not like a vulnerability scan. We're just trying to get identifying assets that are unique. So we've actually never crashed a 
uh, a host in production. I think I'm the second one in the company to brick something though inside our lab, which I did yesterday. And I got a lot of heat for it, <laughs> but um, but um, I'm going to fix that thing after I do. But with a paperclip, <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah. If it's Carlsbad, I got to go to their paperclip anyway. So uh, we uh, we we create this inventory of devices, and then you know I'd say probably three out of four devices you can actually abstract a really good identifiable information with no authentication to that device. And we'll try defaults, and then it, a lot of times, say in retail, it's interesting. In retail, in 2019, the retailers with every store they opened, they would ship a pallet of gear, and they would use one password as default that year. Right. And in 2020, they changed the password for every pallet. So that we give them the option to go key in all their all their latest, you know, defaults, if you will. And then we'll go scan again with those. And we'll usually pretty much enroll just about everything. If not, they can go reset it if they want to. That means they don't have the password for it. Um, and then once those are enrolled, we do two things. The first thing we do is we integrate with uh, password management because we don't want to we don't want to store passwords. No one wants to store passwords. But everybody that we would talk to probably has a password management solution like a HashiCorp Vault, Cyber, that kind of deal. So we plug into all those, store the credentials there, and then we're a gateway. So now the passwords get changed every 30 days. Wow. Now all the computers are actually compliant, not just the ones you knew about. Right. So you're the conduit between all these like existing programs for the IT side and like the IoT device like Farago that's inside of this network. Yeah, and and, and and tomorrow, now they're in compliance. I mean, so this is a really strong move. And then after that, we, we find that our end users begin to work with the stakeholders. So it's really not IT who owns the cameras, right? It's really not IT who owns the chillers. But they find out who owns them, and then they kind of say, hey, uh, here's how you're going to get your passwords from now on. you got to log into your PAM tool. And uh, we're going to be doing firmware updates because you got critical CVEs. And I'd been away from commercial enough. I didn't realize how serious a critical CVE is. And they are not hard to find on IoT devices. But a critical CVE to a big big bank or, or, or a defense customer is a serious event. Like things, Zoom calls stop over, <laughs> over critical CVE. Yeah, and emails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so so we, uh, we I'm surprised at how many we find. And I'm also surprised at the massive amount of default credentials. You know, I just didn't really believe it would be that bad, but actually being hands-on this for a year or two, seeing the customer live, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So, so you, you get an inventory of all of these things and you go through a process of like regularizing and putting a uniform API basically to all of these things. Right. How, but it seems like you're, you know, the customer doesn't now have to solve that problem, but you do. So how does, how does that work? I mean, I, you know, you've got your, the, the gear of, uh, yeah, we, we, well, yeah, we don't have our other lab on here, which has, has all the rest of our, our stuff and it's much, much neater condition. But, um, uh, the, um, um, yeah, there, we have to keep up. So fortunately, you know, a lot, most of what's used as an enterprise is, um, they're like 10 camera vendors they use, right? You don't have to worry about every cheapo camera vendor on Amazon. Oh, which is good. We're not trying to do consumer stuff. We played around with that early. We have an iPhone edition, Android. We kind of paused that. We said, look, let's let's focus on enterprise because they need it. They enroll these devices and they they rotate the credentials first. Um, and then they'll work with each business unit along the way to say, okay, we're patching all the cameras in uh, Jersey City next weekend. And we've got to find out whatever we missed. Um, and so they kind of leg into that because today, you know, this, the role of windows update clearly belongs in it. There's a whole team of guys with it stamped on their forehead and says, I'm the windows update guy. There's nobody who's got that it update guy stamped on their head. And so we're trying to automate that longer term. It may belong in it, but right now it's the security guys who have the exposure. So that's who we think is responsible. And how does that work? Do you just like buy massive amounts of things and like we, we, we don't well we well so I would say like along every engagement we typically have kind of two iterations. So we'll scan their environment with what they have, and then we'll find I don't know like we found a half dozen Crestron uh, devices that, uh, that we didn't have support for. We said, well, these look wow, these are really popular. Okay, we're going to go buy them and add them into our system. So every you were kind of experiencing the network effect with multiple customers as every time we run it, we have more and more precise coverage. We'll always be in that 90, you know, as we get to 90, 95% coverage, I'll be really, really happy. I'd say we're 80, 90% out of the box today. And we expect to add say five new device families per customer. Um, and sometimes we do, sometimes we, you know, only have to add one or two. 
Right. And so I guess the idea is like you're you're buying these devices, you figure out, okay, this is the web interface for how you log in. This is how you upload firmware. Maybe it has an API. And so you're like kind of wiring these devices into a framework and it, it just all becomes automated. Is that the idea? Exactly. So that's the creation of the abstraction layer is to be able to interact with these family of devices, right? Polycom has one firmware family that, that, that actually manages every Polycom device. So we just have to support the one firmware family. And, and QA it against the device families. Um, and the one important thing is that we can actually roll back. And a lot of people don't think about that until, say, SolarWinds. Yeah, we can <laughs> do a one-click rollback of 100,000 IoT devices that have a vulnerability. Um, and, um, you know, nobody's ever even thought about building something for that. So Yeah, not to mention it's, it's hard to find old firmware versions. Sometimes the manufacturers will only have the latest version on their, on their website. Yeah, what happens if the manufacturer goes out of business? Website right. goes down, uh, so we keep our, we keep our own CDN, so we keep stuff forever. And as we are customers ourselves of these vendors, right, we have the rights to obtain the the, the software and create a sure. repo. Sure, sure, yeah. So, like, do you see things getting better or worse or about the same with like the OEMs that are making these devices? Um, it, it, I'd say the same to better. I, I think for enterprise, it's going to be the same because I don't. I think. Um, you know, like stuff like 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 a like an Alexa, right? They're getting better, right? You can't ping this thing; uh, it's all through the cloud. Um, but enterprises, like, they're not going to turn over things to the cloud anytime soon, and they're not going to turn on auto updates anytime soon. They're, they're going to depend on a third-party arbiter to say, "I trust this device is safe, safe enough, or unsafe, and needs to be removed." Yeah, I would also though. I would say that they. I think. I think we will see some improvements because, like in California, they just passed a law uh, that requires the manufacturers to ship without default credentials. Um, you know, the IoT Cybersecurity Improvement Act and the DoD, uh, or sorry, not the DoD, the federal government uh, was just passed in December, where every federal agency is going to have to do um, you know manufacturer requirements, which are being set by NIST, and then identity management, patching, uh, and configuration management, and. So anybody selling to the federal government is going to naturally have to also include those improvements with their devices. So I think you're just going to see that trickle down and effect into industry where, you know, the requirements around some of this legislation is going to improve the security on these things. And do you think like, I mean, at some level though, Chris, what you're saying, it, it's like enterprises are still going to have to manage this process. And so, you know, the fact that an OEM is now randomizing passwords versus giving, you know, default credentials or is, you know, still making you download firmware from their website and then manually uploading it to, to the device. Like it, it only goes so far, it like stops the attacker in a lot of ways from like, you, you know, default username, password reuse, but it doesn't really help like the asset owner. Right. So like, are there standards or things that we need to start thinking about? For well, yeah. So I've been involved with one called software update for internet of things, yeah. which I think will be good, but it's, um, it's an ETF process, so it's going to be a 10-year kind. Of, right now, we're talking about devices that run with less than 16K of memory, which is not where exploits happen, um, right. as you and I know. So once we get up to you know patching actual OSs that sit on top of those embedded devices, and and we're going to have some microcode issues. We just I just saw a big Wi-Fi IoT vulnerability. I think it was yesterday, wasn't it? Day before yesterday. Um, out of those Israeli guys. And, and um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of affected devices. Right. And it's a huge problem. It's not just like Linux, window, Mac. It's like, you know, you've got little microcontrollers that are running real-time operating systems or like yeah, you said, they yeah, it could be your alarm of, system. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Like how do you, how do you make a standard that works for an Alexa and for an alarm system? I, I just, I don't, I don't know how that, I don't know how that happens. I, I, I don't think it's possible. I think there are too many vendors um, I think they'll, I think there's a great opportunity for IOT security companies to sell secure OSs. I think Amazon will have a great business there. Like if I was an inventor and I said, I got to, I'm going to make this, uh, IOT machine so I can talk to my dog. Um, and, and, uh, I would, I would use a, a cloud-based OS right. because that's going to be the most secure, but that's not going to work in an enterprise. Right. Um, just as, you know, vulnerability assessment has a long tail on it. I think there's going to be a strong need for IOT security from firmware security to device security, um, and integration with things like service now and, and, um, high level security management interfaces are going to be key. I think the MSSPs are staying away from this space because MSSPs aren't used to taking action and actually 
changing things. <laughs> right. right. Um, like, and, and so it, they're not in the remediation business. And the, the, um, I think there's an opportunity for the guys, the tenables, the quality, et cetera, to jump into remediation. I think they have to change their business at some point. At some point, people are going to say, okay, our, our report's not good enough. You got to start fixing stuff for me. Um, right. And I think companies like Tame are, are well positioned there, certainly on the, on the endpoint side. Right. Yeah. It's your point. It's like, you have to give people a solution to the problem, not just a whole bunch of work to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, alert fatigue is a real thing. And right now, if you're just going to segment, segment quarantine and then give somebody a heads up, Hey, you know, 5,000 of your devices are broken. You can take them offline, but it doesn't actually fix them. And it doesn't allow you to have that operational capability back, nor does it really actually secure the device or the data coming from it. So you still got a big problem there. We're like, yeah, we know the problem exists, but we need to do more. Totally. So a lot of what you're working on is like going into a total mess basically and like trying to make sense of that mess. Are there things that like, say you had, I know this is a rare occurrence, but say you have like a greenfield opportunity to make a new enterprise network or a new environment where you're going to have IoT and IT commingling potentially. Like what are some best practices that IT administrators can use to design a system that's more secure than just like a totally flat network with a bunch of unpatched devices on it? Yeah, I mean, certainly I think it's from the ground up is knowing what's on the network and coming up with some kind of computer plan, a security plan for each device. And, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, shadow IoT. If you can remember at the uh, turn of the century, what's your Wi-Fi policy? We don't have any, really? Because I got five bars here. Oh, well, that's the one under my desk. <laughs> um, so we got the same thing going on with with uh, shadow IoT is uh, people putting stuff in because they don't need the permission of the CIO. They can just go do it. And the CIO can deal with it when he finds out about it, he or she finds out about it. And um, that that's a common issue. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I think we're going to have a long tail on this. And um, But, you know, I, I see friends of mine at very cool companies building brand new facilities. And I, you know, I hope they're, like, keeping track of all the stuff. But really when it comes down to, like, if you're building a, literally a new office building, like there's going to be some contractors that that don't know anything about cybersecurity installing right. all the physical access control. Right. And, um, you know, people should, should, should know that, you know, I've demonstrated for, for customers opening every door in a building, you know, up to, up to 6,000 doors that, that could be unlocked with a default password, you know, talk about blowing somebody's mind. Yeah. The other interesting thing about it too, is that you're seeing, you're seeing a new business model emerge with some of these tech companies where they're going to come in and say, we'll do all of your enterprise IOT for the folks doing digital transformation. So like last year, we saw digital transformation accelerate by like six years because of COVID. And so now companies are investing in this stuff where they're like, we want these operational capabilities and efficiencies and we want them now. So they're just going to come in and overlay this entire network of IoT devices uh, where it will be easier to track from there. Um, but we're still going to see an uptick that is going to require them to scale security. And that's an impossible task to go with if you want to have ongoing security in line with your policies with all these new things coming online. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it also brings up a really interesting point. You mentioned like COVID accelerating a lot of digital transformation. People are now bringing company assets into their homes. And, you know, we've talked a lot about enterprise IoT, but people have IoT crawling all over their houses as well. And like, you know, there there are not solutions. I mean, at least as far as I'm aware, there's not solutions out there for homeowners to take control of these IoT devices, which are, if not as vulnerable, more vulnerable than a lot of the stuff that gets sold into enterprises. Like, <laughs> we, we, we think about that a lot. And, um, you know, we did start off thinking about consumer and build applications there. I think, you know, once we see a customer who's locked down their enterprise IT, IoT first, I think they'll start asking for that. And when they do, we'll be able to deliver it. I think it'll be important. I think it's the market's too early right now right. because I don't think consumers will actually pay for this themselves. And there is a much more diverse environment of things in a consumer environment than there are in an enterprise. Like we, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about is from the manufacturer malicious. And that's a thing. So we had a case, uh, the Uoku security camera, Amazon choice camera from 2017 to 2019. It shipped out of the box. When you hit mute, it's turned on an audio stream to China. It would also upload and map scans of your land to a honeypot in China. So to, for two years, you know, if you're like a civilian buying a, you're going to pick the Amazon choice camera. I'm sure there are a lot of them out there doing bad things. 
Yeah, it's horrifying, actually. Um, but it sounds like there might be a path for, for example, people who are working from home with corporate devices, maybe at some point in the future, exactly, the business would pay, hey, we're going to like, just make sure that there's some sanity around the your, yeah. So like, we, we, so one, one route would be like, put us in the app store marketplace for the endpoint solution. And then we can scan the land environment and say, hey, there's like two critical CVEs and three defaults that need to be rotated. Otherwise, you should limit this land land connection. Right. So uh, that's a great IoT security play. And I think one that reflects the current uh, hybrid work environment. Yeah. I mean, so uh, it, it sounds like devices are going to continue coming out. Like, is it a legislative thing that we we need to do to like get manufacturers to take basic cybersecurity principles seriously? I mean, the, the California legislation, is that? I, I actually like this new law, at least as it pertains to federal, because within two years, it you legally actually have to patch and change passwords on IoT devices, which is a good thing. And also I happen to have a business that patches and rotates IoT <laughs> credentials. <laughs> that's the first but that's the first time in my life I've actually seen legislature that kind of made me clap. Right. Um, generally I think legislature um, getting involved in innovation is not a good idea. Um, and you know it's just like, you know, how if operating system vendors had to be guarantee the security of their operating system before they could sell their operating system, we'd never get one. Right. Um, and so there has to be some some risk taken. And 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 as the cost margins are slim on IoT, IoT security is going to be something that's cut until it's until we get to the point where people make selections of products based on security as a feature. And you could say the different uh, Mobile phones offer different security features, and people may fi- fix their select their mobile phone based on, hey, I want something really secure versus I want something more flexible. You know, if you go even one step beyond that, like if you're going to call manufacturers to do their own security, you're asking experts, you're asking people who aren't experts in security to do it to do security. And you know, as as Chris mentioned, like it's just going to grind innovation to a halt. So if you can put the onus on the other side, is you don't want in, you don't want people outside the enterprise being responsible for enterprise security. I mean, if, I, if I'm a CISO and I'm putting devices online and I'm going to say, well, the manufacturer's got this, I don't need to worry about the security, that, that, that doesn't sit well with me. So I think, you know, bringing in companies who do know security and who can actually effectively and scalably secure these things, uh, I think that's going to be more on the move. So they should set the requirements to say, yeah, you need to patch, yeah, you need to rotate credentials. Manufacturers, you should have some basic requirements in place because you know enough about this to at least turn on or off this port or disable Bluetooth if it's not necessary, yada, yada. Um, but I think really, you know, the, the enterprise is going to want control over this. And so if they're going to do legislation, smart legislation, like they just did, um, then I think, you know, putting those requirements and then letting the letting the experts do what they do is, is kind of the market efficient way to do this. Right. If, if I, I could ask you something, Josh, I'm curious. <laughs> um, on an engagement, have you ever not found a vulnerability? Never. Yeah. It's it's a matter of uh, how long and how bad. That's really the the way we measure engagements. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the way ours is today. And like, if if you look at like the rest of the computing world, there's a pretty good chance you could get out of an engagement and not find a vulnerability. But in <laughs> our world, there it's like, yeah. How much time do you have? And how right. bad do you want it to be? And how bad do you want it to be? Like what, you know, where are you, are you trying to prove a point to somebody or do you, uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, we saw this in the military. Um, it's like when, when OEMs, you know, the big defense players build these technologies, there are requirements in place. Um, you know, the government says, okay, you know, the, the tank's got to be able to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. No one wrote cybersecurity requirements into these things. No one even thought, like, what, who's going who's gonna to want to hack a tank? Isn't it just easier to, like, send a missile at it or something like that? You know, and so the, the result is this whole industry grew up around building technology with tons of digital components in it with zero cybersecurity requirements. And it, it got so bad that the government outed itself. Like, in 2018, there's this big report. Well, I would that, think it is better to hack a tank than it is to shoot one, right? It's probably yeah. a lot cheaper. It's a lot cheaper. It's just a lot send cheaper. packets. Just send packets, and and then not only that, but like uh, it scales, right? So if you can if you can find an access vector, like you know, we plug all kinds of shit onto like our our weapon systems. We plug you know like um, uh, maintenance support devices uh, onto these things. Believe it or not, munitions like things like um, like a missile or or a fuel pod they connect directly onto the main control bus of 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 these of these assets. So your supply chain is is now as weak as your your gas tank. You got it. 
you got it. So, so you can, you know, you could probably permeate an entire fleet, um, with, with a lot less effort than, you know, trying to shoot all those things down, you know? Well, I think there's some interesting joint opportunities for us. I think so too. I think so too. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of crossover in uh, industrial IoT is a buzzword that we we hear a lot. I mean, you know, you've got these like very expensive manufacturing assets, and it's not just a cybersecurity problem. So, like these the the the, the operators, of these things are, I, I guess, like very concerned about keeping uptime. And so, in that respect, like as attacks become more and more common, they're going to be worried about okay, I, I need to make sure that this thing doesn't get attacked because it costs me. Hundred thousand dollars an hour when my when my factory is down. But the other thing that's interesting is there's there's a there's an interplay here with like the right to repair movement, right? So there's this idea that all of these all these devices are generating data, and that's an opportunity not only to like monitor it for cyber attack and like try to make sure that it's not compromised, so like that defense in depth type of thing, but also to take that data stream, the data streams that are coming off of these IoT devices, or and and pull them back so that the the business owners can use that data. Uh, to be smarter and safer, right? Um, so we have like examples in the manufacturing. It's, it's really interesting. We actually just had, I think a week ago, a very large tractor dealer asked us to manage the IoT on the tractors. So I'm well familiar with the fix-it-yourself movement. Yep. And, and uh, um, uh, this is gonna be, I'm excited about this one because it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, we're we're going we're gonna to do it with it, with it, with it without uh, OEM help. Yep. We're going to secure the customer um, at yep. the end of the day. Well, and legislation is going to be on your side. I mean, I know there's there's um, there's a big food fight over the data that's getting generated off of these things, especially in the agricultural space. To your point, you know, there's a bunch of documentaries about this. I, I can't remember which uh, which state passed legislation, essentially corollary to like the the copyright um, digital digital millennium copyright act type stuff for security researchers, where it says like, hey, you own this asset, and like if it's generating data, you have a right to collect that data and use it for your own purposes. Yeah, it was, it was a John Deere lawsuit and, yep, and, and, exactly. and the research prevailed. So, yep. um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be interesting because obviously there's a, a lot of IOT going on, uh, in these new places. And I never thought in my life I would have a tractor reseller call me and ask me for my product. It's crazy. It's a crazy world we live in, but it's just, it's a testament to how the more you put software and hardware onto things, uh, like you're bringing them into the 21st century and there's all these like use cases and different ways of like maximizing maintenance and operations that like no one would have thought of 30 years ago because like we were thinking a, a PC costs $5,000 and it's like, you know, it's 50 pounds and you know, you got a CRT monitor and all this stuff where now like you can, you can get a microcontroller the size of your thumbnail. It's more powerful than those PCs were mm -hmm. and it costs five bucks. <laughs> yep. That's crazy world, and I hope like I hope next time we can talk about five G because I think five G is going to be like putting gas on a fire when it comes to all this IoT that's going to come out on five G. It's going to be crazy, yeah. and that's actually going to be that's going to be in our face. That's not going to be stuffed in an enterprise. Totally. Tell tell me about it. Like, what what are some of the differences between four G and five G, and how does it enable? Well, five G is going to be always on in very high bandwidth, yeah. um, and devices will be baked in with it. So as you know, why you know. Why even worry about Wi-Fi when I can get 5G and and just walk out of the store with it and it's on? I just got to swipe my credit card and right. I got a subscription and um and so anybody traversing a, any bad guys traversing a 5G network are going to be able to find these things and potentially exploit them. I mean, it's the number two seconds. The sec it is the second sentence in the DNI CTO's paper on 5G says. Our number one concern is IoT device security on 5G environments. So we see that as a big green field as well. Um, and moving to that from Wi-Fi 6. With 5G in general, the, you know, the lack of latency now, like they've reduced it to like zero, um, which is pretty incredible. So I think with that, like you were saying, you know, we've already seen like smart cities and those environments come about. And when you have more and more devices, I think if you can even call it that, like the, you know, the entire networks of of traffic lights and all this other stuff that's like a critical infrastructure for cities. Um, all that stuff coming online provides all these crazy opportunities as well. And, you know, there's, there's this crazy article about um, dude hacked. I want to say it was like every camera in Russia, every traffic cam in Russia. So it's just free surveillance. Um, and this is, you know, public information. He just threw it up on the dark web and said, Hey, if you guys want to see every camera in Russia and what it's showing, uh, or maybe it was just Moscow, actually not Russia. Um, but bottom line is like things like that, it, it gets pretty scary pretty fast if you're not going to actually secure those devices and actually secure the data, right. um, 
which creates huge problems. But yeah, with 5G, you're going to see a lot more stuff like that too, where your cities are moving to uh, being digitally connected. Especially if these things are on the internet, right? Like it's one thing, we, we've been talking a lot about stuff that exists on an enterprise network. It's like natted behind some router firewall somewhere. So there's at least like one layer of effort that a person needs to go through to like be able to get access to these devices. But if something's hanging out on like 5G internet connection, like it is, it, we, we mentioned Shodan, but like basically like there are these search engines where the, the folks are scanning the, the, the entire IP space and looking for devices that are out there and fingerprinting them. I mean, it's just going to get way worse. Well, and imagine the dark web version of Shodan. That must be just amazing. <laughs> right, yeah. Someone bake, someone makes the, 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 the black hat version of what you're making uh, yeah. <laughs> and connects yeah. it to, to Shodan or the black, you know. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it, it, it's easier for the bad guys right now because because it's 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 like there's no game warden in town right <laughs> i mean i know chris uh, you've got a lot of uh, a lot of people in your your network that that do red teaming and pen testing like how often are red teamers using iot devices as part of their their attack chains it, it, it's a new trend just as people actually caring about it is a new trend so we see kind of we see right now the security elite. So we're working with some of the top top banks in the world, like top five, top ten uh, financial institutions in the world, and then DoD. And that, that's about that's kind of who our customer types are, which are security elite. And there are lots of those guys, and um, they want to take care of this problem before they get hit. And I think it'll roll just like anything else. You know, uh, nobody had gateway. If you remember Melissa, the day there was no email uh, in 1998. Um, the um right nobody had gateway antivirus the day before melissa and the right. day after melissa everybody had it <laughs> right so, so so when we have that iot melissa moment you know there might be an iot guy uh in the it department right uh, i've only seen it in one company i've seen a director of iot in one company and i don't, I don't even know if that if that person knew what their job was right <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, like IoT devices, the other thing that's really interesting is uh, some of them manipulate like the physical world, right? Like they've got actuators on them. It's not just sensors. Um, IT systems are like there to move information around for the most part. But IoT devices, like, you know, they can have ramifications in the physical world. And, um, you know, the thing I'm really worried about is it's going to take events like, you know, Melissa or, you've had, you know, like worms and things that like... Um, raise awareness uh, for 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 um, people to take these issues seriously. Like the thing I'm worried about is there's going to be some large scale IoT attack against some system that's like critical or dependent on you know that the people depend on. And there's going to be like loss of human life. So what's interesting about that is the FBI actually did an experiment. I want to say it was like 2012 or something like that. They knew the, they knew about this early on when they started looking at a lot of these industrial devices coming online, and they actually tried to see if they could hack. Um, a turbine and overspeed it and they succeeded and you know so when, when we're looking at, at some of the critical infrastructure stuff that's actually what got me into this space in the first place coming out of submarines because i realized that you know when beautiful thing about submarines we're water gaps we're good but you know when you're looking at some of the critical infrastructure um yeah you get into really big problems in terms of these in terms of these industrial um actuators and things like that with whether it's valves or you know, you name it. And if you send the wrong alerts or you send the wrong signals to any of those things, you can have a very large physical impact on, you know, power plants, et cetera. And it's, and I think it's a well-known problem, um, you know, which is why I'm okay saying it, but yeah, it's definitely one that's uh that's a scary one if we don't take care of it. It sure is. I mean, we, I mean, we've got this breaking news where like, you know, these guys tried to put lie in the water supply in Tampa right. through the, through right. the OC, ICS at the, at the water facility. I mean, this is like happening in real time. If you're doing the Super Bowl. My opinion, that's not testing. That's like production live. Right. It was a real attack right. trying to hurt people. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's happening under our noses. Right. Yeah. It's it's really uh, really upsetting, and uh, it's it's good to hear that people are working on these problems. You know, at least um, I think unfortunately it probably is going to take some some events like this to raise awareness around the problem and get people to act. Um, but you know, I I'm hopeful that we're headed in the right direction. You see manufacturers starting to take it more seriously. I think ultimately for consumers and for enterprise, it's going to take them developing a discerning kind of opinion around the security of their devices. Um, 
but I'm not even really convinced that that happens elsewhere, right? Like Apple devices are pretty secure, but like are people buying Apple devices because they're secure or are they buying Apple devices because they're Apple? You know, I, I, I don't know. Probably some of both. So probably, probably some of both. It's, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what direction this industry takes. I think the, the, um, the U.S. enterprises and and we're seeing an interest in EMEA in Asia as well. Want to find a baseline? Where, where where are they right now? And what can they do to shore up the biggest gaps? And then what's what's the plan going forward? So there are a lot of holes that need plugging. Um, and you know, because the scale of IoT and kind of what we call technical debt in our companies, right? The technical debt of these IT organizations with these devices that haven't been maintained. It's really impossible to resolve that manually so so as companies like ours and others emerge that provide tooling to help automate those problems and solve them we can offer solutions instead of just telling people about a problem they can't solve right yeah you got to be solution oriented right ultimately you're we're here to solve problems rather than just complain about the state of security <laughs> well yeah and that's you know it's it's that's you know in the visibility space you know you do get some of that where okay i got a list of all these devices now what do i do with them and you know right. we like that because we'll we'll take we'll ingest that data that's and we'll right. spit out the solution. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's right. You know what's cool about the the way that we're moving with this is that like, if you've got a scalable security backbone, then you can build whatever IoT infrastructure you want on top of it, and you it's not that you don't have to worry about that, but you reduce the attack surface sufficiently and do the risk mitigation sufficiently that you can you can scale IoT uh, with peace of mind. You know, which is great. Like you get all these capabilities. Instead of having to think, well, if I put 10 more devices on, that's 10 more I have to manage, as opposed to automating the solution, in which case you can say, all right, let's go. Like, let's throw thousands on because it's going to have all these new things that we can do for our businesses. Um, and they can do it knowing that their security team's got their back. Gotcha. Well, Chris, uh, where can people find out more about you and Phosphorus and what you're working on? Uh Phosphorus.io is uh, our website, and my own email is just Chris Phosphorus.io. Happy to take feedback, good or bad, um, uh, or indifferent. And um, certainly, you know, anybody wants to talk about taking a look at what we're doing, we're happy to happy to show you. And um, I can guarantee you, it is something you have not seen before. <laughs> awesome. Well, Chris, Casey, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Let's do it again soon. Thanks. Absolutely. Right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planes, Trains, and Tanks. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review. To learn more about Shift 5 and our products, visit our website at shift5.io or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.